the floor. I hope everybody's doing all right. Welcome to Palm Sunday, also Spring Break Sunday, it looks like. Got a light crowd here at 9 o'clock, so hope you guys have fun plans for those of you that have families, fun plans this week uh, to do something fun with the kids or whatever the case may be. And uh, we're glad everybody's here this morning. Um, uh, a couple quick things. First of all, this is like the fun moment, okay? So I want everybody to like get excited, like get fired up. Like this is the moment. Here we are. Okay, we just got through worship, you know, worship with music, you know, that we're kind of emotionally giving ourselves and open up our hearts to God. Now, you know, we get to move from worship God with our emotions, our song, with kind of our inner being, and now we get to the opportunity. This ought to be like the highlight of the moment. We get to we get to worship God as an act, okay? So, like, this is like the climax moment for what we get to participate in. So, like, we should be like going, woohoo! Can somebody give me like a woo? Yeah! All right, grab that basket at the end of the row and pass it down because this is an act of worship. This isn't like supporting some like, you know, just non-profit thing. This is you coming before God and acting on your faith and acting and believing that we worship a God who is bigger and greater and grander than all that we do. And he is building a kingdom here through us, vintage church and other churches, the Christian church around the world. And he is inviting each of us to participate in it, to act and worship him with all that we have. And part of that is contributing funds that we you know, go out and work and raise that are really things that he does for us. And we just get to worship him with giving back 10%. So uh, I hope that you just enjoyed that act of worship. It wasn't just passing a plate. It wasn't just giving a dollar. It was something from your heart to say, love you, Lord. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of your kingdom. Um, you know, there are, uh, there are some great tragedies that happen in this world and in life. One of them is, uh, uh, you know, what, what we're going through in this season. But there was a, there was a there, there are tragedies, there are bank robberies, there are great scandals, there are mis, you know, mischievous things that take place and uh, some things we don't even need to talk about. But 12 years ago today, one of the great scandals of our time took place and uh, my wife agreed to marry me uh, and today is our 12th anniversary. So um, somehow the Lord has convicted her to to trust this thing called marriage and stick with somebody like me. So uh, uh, it's great to great to uh, to be your partner and friend and uh, for the last 12 years and all the years that are yet to come, Rebecca. So with this morning, um, this is, you know, interesting. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, we're going to begin back in Genesis this morning. And um, and this talk is is really an interesting talk for me. The, um, I really feel like the Lord has a clear message that he wants me to say. And there are some pieces to this that I'm trusting he's just going to unpack and, and move and speak to you through this. But I'm just going to be diligent and kind of pressing through with what we have. And so kind of getting this thing started is, is where my head is a little gray. But um, we're, going to op- we're going to open up Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read the, the first few verses, the first five verses here. So if you have your Bible, if you'll follow along with me. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Let me pause there. What did God do? He tested. Do we think that God still tests his people? Do you think that God does things to test us? 
to invite us to a greater reality, to test us of where we are, to recognize where we are. I think we have a clear, clear picture here. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and he took with him uh, two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out the place that he had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham took up, uh, looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, listen to this, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for centuries ago that you began to tell your story. And you placed a faith and a confidence in a man that we know is Abraham. That would point a picture of your heart for us and reveal your life to us in the sacrifice of a son. Because, Lord, you are the one who brings forth the sacrifice And Lord, let us, with all that we are, come and give you praise from our hearts. Lord, I pray right now that you would, that you would release an understanding of your love for us. And reveal to us your heart in a whole new way in this Easter season. So Jesus, just continue to come and have your way. Amen. One of the things I want you to see here, many of you may have seen it before, some of you may not have seen it. Abraham says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you again. Now, do you see what Abraham is saying there? Abraham knows that he is being asked to sacrifice his son. But Abraham doesn't tell his servants, I'll be back in a little while. He says, we will be back. We will return. Abraham knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is faithful to be the God and to follow through on the promises that he gives. And God had given Abraham the promise that he would be the father of nations. And through this son that he would, amazing things would take place. He would bless him and be a blessing unto the nations. And so Abraham knew it seemed reasonable to him, as we'll look at in a few minutes. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that while, we're, while I'm going to sacrifice our son, we, we will return. And you and I have to both know that Abraham was very intentional. Nobody else knew what was going on there except Abraham. And Abraham was very intentional in the words that he used to say we. As a statement of confidence and boldness and faith to say, we're going. And we're going up that mountain, but we're coming back together. We'll be back after a while. And I don't want you to miss that. Because that's the challenge that lies before us. And this challenge that I feel like the Lord has for us this morning. If you uh, want to flip forward with me now, back to where we left off last week. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. 
Steve read this passage last week. We're going to read it again. This is again when Jesus predicts his death. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him. Flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And scripture says in, in the telling of these of Jesus, knowing that he is going to Jerusalem and what going to Jerusalem means. He'd been traveling all over the countryside. And as Steve kind of unpacked last week, Jesus going to Jerusalem was a big thing. Jesus was understood to be the Messiah and believed by many to be the Messiah. And so the Messiah coming into Jerusalem to the to the home of the kings was this pinnacle moment for Jesus ministry. And so the people gather around and amazing things are happening again. Miracles are taking place on this road into Jerusalem. And Jesus is standing on the hillside, on the mountainside, overlooking Jerusalem, about to head into Jerusalem. And we're going to pick up um, in in Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 10, the triumphal entry. So we're just skipping ahead a half a chapter here. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And uh, just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever hit, has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it and some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered that Jesus had told them uh, to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while, they're, while they spread their branches uh, they had cut on the fields. Those who went ahead and... Those who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. So here is this moment. We see one other time in Second Kings where I believe it's Second Kings where people laid down branches and laid down their cloaks for the ushering end of the king into Jerusalem. And so here we are, like the culmination of hundreds of years of the Jewish nation Waiting for the Messiah to come. And here is Jesus sitting on the back of a colt. About to head in Jerusalem and people are worshiping him. The Luke passage of telling of this says, you know, somebody came to him. Why are you letting your people cry out like this and worship you? And he says, he says in return, if they did not cry out, the rocks would cry out. You've probably heard that phrase before. The rocks would cry out because this is the moment that all of creation has been waiting on for the Messiah to come and for his kingdom to be established here on earth. And this is that moment, Jesus is saying, that's being celebrated. That road is an important road. That road is the road that we are being invited to. As Christians. The reality is we're going to dive into a little bit in Hebrews this morning. Life is not always simple. I think, unfortunately, 
at least some of my experience in the church in the West has been that we kind of have a utopian perspective of what a Christian life should be. You know, when you become a Christian, you know, everything should be grandiose and you shouldn't have any hardship or you shouldn't have any difficulty anymore and you should live in prosperity and you should have a number of blessings that take place, you know, in your life. And these things that are from the devil, um, that are hardships and trials are something that should not be taking place. And so there are times when we even just go to war, you know, against those specific things. And while there's pieces and parts of that that are absolutely true, I think there's a misconception that we have oftentimes in the church that we're going to try to unpack a little bit this morning. So here we go into Hebrews chapter 12. If you'll turn with, with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. And one of the, one of the healthy ways that I see to kind of really understand what's, what God is saying in Scripture is oftentimes to read a passage and read things kind of in a backwards mode. So we're going to do a very brief version of that. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 and then we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and kind of see what God has to say through that lens. Part of what I believe that God wants to say and share with you this morning is, in a sense, to hand you a pair of glasses. You know, it's kind of like a... Uh, 3D glasses, you know, if you look at a, at, a, at a TV screen, you know, without the or the go to a 3D movie without the 3D glasses, everything looks kind of fuzzy. And there are clearly times this is a whole nother sermon I could get into and I'm going to try not to go there. There are clearly times throughout Scripture that the Lord hides understanding from man. It's throughout the word. It runs runs from the Old Testament through the New Testament that he hides things from us. Just one quick illustration as an example. Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with the two men after his resurrection. And scripture literally says it was kept hidden from them who he was. These are men who followed Jesus, who had been in the crowd, who had been maybe a part of the 144 or something. But they knew Jesus. They had been with him. And yet here he is walking with them. And until he sits down with them and breaks the bread, scripture says, then it was revealed to them who he was. And they were in awe. And they spoke back and forth among, among themselves. Was our heart not burning as he was unpacking the scripture, as he was explaining to us about who the Messiah was? So what I want you to see in that is that there are times, there are revelations, there are things that could be obvious that are kept hidden from us that the Lord wants to release and give understanding to. There are things in your life that the Lord wants you to better understand and for us to imagine and see what he is doing and where he is in the midst of things. Things as obvious as Jesus with the disciples saying, look, this is what's about to take place. We're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be turned over to the chief priests and I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be ridiculed by the Gentiles. And, all the, and he's telling them specifically, this is what's going to take place. And in three days, I'm going to be raised again. And they did not understand what he was saying. Isn't that just amazing? I mean, imagine if you were one of the disciples. I think this is one of the healthiest things you can do in reading your Bible. Imagine you're the person there in the crowd. You're one of the disciples. You're, you're Peter, who Jesus is speaking to. You know, or whatever the case is, imagine you're there. So imagine we're one of the disciples and Jesus is saying, look, this is what's about to happen. We're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified and then I'm going to be raised again from the dead. And you just look at each other like, what in the world is he talking about? Could he be more clear? And we have the hindsight to look back on it and have understanding of it. But imagine if you were there with him and you're listening to what he's saying and you're like, this guy's crazy. I have no idea what he's talking about. And yet he's making it very clear. 
You with me? That's the same picture of when God releases understanding that you didn't understand something. And then suddenly there's almost a hindsight revelation that takes place that God released understanding to it. And you're like, oh, wow, that makes complete sense. And I believe that God is inviting you this week to have some moment of a released understanding based on something or some things that have taken place in your life till now. We'll come back there in a minute. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's where we're going to get to and back to Hebrews 11 in just a minute, what that cloud of witnesses looks like. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that. You will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you have forgotten uh, and you have forgotten that word or encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Pause. What does the Lord do with those he loves? He disciplines them. And punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. Somebody repeat that to me. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. For how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while while they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Why does God discipline us? For our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. What does... Hardship received as discipline produce in us. It produces a holiness, a righteousness and a peace. Now, let me just pause for a minute and ask you to think back on a hardship that you've gone through in your life. A hardship that you may be going through right now. Do you see that God has an opportunity and an intention in that hardship As a means by which to discipline who you are. As a means by which to wish something better for you. And to lead you down a pathway to having this thing that is difficult and hard and painful at the moment. To produce within you a holiness and a righteousness and a peace. If you'll be trained by it. But back to this kind of western mindset of Christianity where we kind of feel like. Christianity should be utopia, that we shouldn't have hardship, that we shouldn't have difficult times. If you were to turn over, and I'll just do it real quick, turn over to the one page, you'll see in James chapter 1, 
verses 2 and 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, James says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, your faith's being tested, the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the Lord tests us and allows tests to come upon us, allows hardships and allows difficulties to take place in our life so that, not so that we go through tough times, so that we grow and become mature. And the thing that we're invited to, not just the thing that we're invited to, the thing that we're commanded to by, by, in James, consider it joy. When these things take place, when's the last time you considered it joy when a hardship took place? The last time you were held up when you were in a hurry, the last time that somebody did you wrong, the last time you were out of of this and you didn't have milk for your for your cereal and you were just frustrated and angry. You know, when is the last what is the last hardship or last difficulty you went through and were you considering it pure joy when you were going through that? Has anybody ever tried that? Have you ever stopped in the middle of that hardship and said, wait a minute, I'm going to practice what I've been commanded to do. I'm going to stop the train of my emotions and where my mind is headed. And I'm going to say, wait a minute, the Lord commands me and invites me to consider this joy. Consider this joy. Joy. Has anybody ever practiced? I mean, just to show hands, has anybody ever stopped? And hit the pause button and say, wait, I'm supposed to consider this joy. Just a sign of hands. A couple. This is one of the great amazing things to me. One of the great hidden treasures that I believe that the Lord wants his church to the in these days understand. Is to consider it joy. Consider that the God is moving. Consider that he has things prepared in our lives and for our lives that may not be easy. They will be called struggles. They will be called hardships. They will be called difficulties. And he is inviting us as Christians to live by a different standard than the rest of the world. To live in a different way than the rest of the world has taught you to live. And say, in the midst of this hardship and joy, my confidence and my faith and my trust in you is so great that you are God of all creation. And you know the works that you have in store for me. And this is one of those opportunities for me to become mature. Coming to an understanding of who you are. Because you want to use this difficulty of me being without milk in some silly, crazy way to grow me up a little bit and not have everything be focused on me. But to see that you want to use these moments as an opportunity to produce holiness and righteousness and peace in my life. Have I ever considered that? Yet it's pretty clear. Would you agree in what we're looking at in Scripture that this is what God says is my plan? And yet somehow, some way, we've missed this in the church. And so oftentimes we miss, we all miss these opportunities to grow and to become mature in our faith. But not so with you, Jesus says. You're not to live as the rest of the world lives. You know, seek ye, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things that I have in store for you, he says, will be given to you. Keep your heart set on these things. 
Let's back up, as I was referring to a minute ago, and just look at a couple things that we see in Hebrews. As we see the illustration of these people, these heroes of the faith, as, as chapter 12 you know, speaks to, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these heroes, these great witnesses that have told us what a spiritual life should look like. So let's just now look back at 11 and see what a little bit of that looks like. 11.1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This faith, this confidence, this absolutely convinced that God has got this thing in his grip. And that I can continue to move forward not knowing what comes next and not knowing the outcome of what is going to take place, but fully confident that God is God and he can be trusted. That's faith. Living with this complete confidence and trust that God is able and God is, has a plan. And that's what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made of what was visible. This is God of all creation. This is God who spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. Can you imagine being so smart that before there was light, you could comprehend light? Have you ever thought about just how big and how amazing God is? That things that had never been imagined before, he could just speak and they would happen. Light being one of those. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Can you imagine there never having been, been light? And then just saying, imagining light and it just happening. This is the God who spread out the stars, knows them each by name. As he speaks to Job, he says, were you there when I stretched out the heavens? Were you there when I gave the sea its shores and said, this is your boundary? You're not allowed past this moment. Can you unbuckle the the belt of Orion? Can you lead out the bear and his cubs in the sky? He's speaking as God who can do all of these things and who spoke all these things in existence and said, look at how big I am, Job. Were you there with me when I spoke and wisdom came about? Were you there in the foundations of the world? Can you imagine who I truly am, and yet you dare come before me and accuse me of being out of place? Friends, wisdom that we've come to understand in Scripture and wisdom that gives us understanding is the reality that God is huge. We can't even imagine the vastness of how big and how powerful and how amazing God is. And friends, we are itty-bitty tiny small. And yet oftentimes we live our life overwhelmed by the circumstances that happen in this hour. Not even necessarily today. We're so consumed by being out of milk or we're so consumed by this person being slow in front of us and we're so consumed by whatever the immediate task is, we are living in foolishness, Scripture would say, because we're living in the moment of how small we are and imagining it to be bigger than God. That this is a distraction and this is a hardship and this is a difficulty and this is not supposed to take place. Because this is destroying and ruining my life when God is God. And when we practice with and we say, God, you're huge. And you're sitting up there at 20,000 feet and you know the whole picture. You're not limited by time. You see what this can produce. And he says, I intend for these things. I invite you to, to look at these things as pure joy. Consider them joy because I am doing a work within you through these. It is painful. It doesn't feel good at the time, yet these are something that I'm using to bless you with. And friends, 
when we get on board with that and we begin to praise God for the hardships and we worship God and we thank him for all things that take place in our life, not just the good things in our life, when we embrace him and we worship him and we invite him, would you show me what you intend to do through this hardship and through this difficulty? Then God can come and release understanding And we can begin to understand and see the fullness of who God is. And he gets to be big and we get to be small again. And when he's big and we're small and the circumstances in our life are small, peace is going to take place. Because we worship a God who created the universe. And who is here with us all the time, everywhere we are. And yet we live most of our lives, we all do it, in foolishness. Considering difficulties and hardships and persecutions and empty milk cartons as something that should never take place. But God has a better plan. And that better plan is to grow you to maturity because he loves you as a son. That's what Hebrews is saying. Because we are his sons and because he loves us so deeply, he does not desire for us to live the rest of our lives in an immature state, being unaware of what he is doing and uninvited to the things that he is trying to do all around us. Friends, that is the invitation of the cross. That invitation of the cross is Jesus having this full confidence and complete assurance that, yes, I am going to Jerusalem. The Father has revealed it to me. Though you do not understand, I am choosing to go and walk down the road into Jerusalem to be crucified, to be tortured, to be spit upon, to be abused, to be mistreated. And I say yes and amen. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. That Jesus had come to this place in the faith. And now let me dive back into into Romans chapter 11. Without faith, verse 6 reads, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Friends, did you know that without this faith, without this full confidence that God is this unbelievable, unimaginably large, powerful being who created everything... Without living out that life of faith, complete trust in God in all things, that we can't please God. And yet we try so hard. And one of the words that I want you to hear this morning is that a lot of us, we need to quit trying to be Christian. And we need to start trusting in the God who created all things. We can try our way right out of trusting God. Now, I'm not saying that you should sit back on the sidelines and not participate in the game. No, we should do all things as though we're doing them unto the Lord to the best of our ability, giving it 110 percent in everything that we do as an act of worship before God. So, yes, we should participate. We should dive in. But the Lord is inviting us to a life of faith where we're fully trusting him to be active and involved in everything that we're doing by faith. Verse eight, by faith. When called to go to a place that he would rather receive his inheritance, um, Abraham obeyed and went. Skipping down to verse 13. I love this passage. All these people that have been talked about, all these people, go back and read chapter 11 uh, on your own this afternoon. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their not of their own. If they had been looking for a country uh, they had left, they would have led. They would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These people who live by faith, they lived not for what this life is about. And here's the principle I want you to just stick in your head and put it on your forehead, write it on your mirror, look at it every morning. This life is not about this life. And when we make this life about this life, we miss seeing the opportunities of faith to trust God with all that lies ahead. When we make it about that moment, when we make it about the circumstances, when we get confused and and frustrated with what is taking place ever before us and we're living for this life, we're living for our paycheck, we're living for the retirement, we're living for the grandkids, we're living for the things of this life. There's nothing wrong with all of those things that God wants to use as a blessing and have us enjoy. But when we're when those are the things, when those are the anchor that we're living for, we're missing it because those who are commended by their faith said they lived as though aliens to this world. Putting their faith and their trust and their hope in the city that is yet to come, not a place that they could go and return to today, but this hope and this future of this life that is yet to come. Trusting and knowing that God is fully God in this moment and no matter what's taking place, he can be trusted. And so I'm going to give myself trusting him, knowing that the true life that is yet to come is in him in heaven. Does he want to bless us? Absolutely. He wants to bless us in this life and in the next. Don't miss that. But the reality of in living in faith, he is inviting us to live, not live. This life is not about this life, but to live knowing that. The glory that God has in store for us is yet to come. Continuing on with the examples in in Hebrews chapter 11. Now we see in verse 17, by by faith, Abraham, when God tested him back to the verse we read earlier. Offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. It seemed logical and reasonable and intellectual in that moment for Abraham to say, we will return. If he can speak and cause everything in creation to come into being. I think he can bring my son back from the dead. It seemed reasonable, scripture says, that he could that God could bring his son back from the dead. Are we living with that kind of faith? Are we living with the faith that when these impossible things before us come about, that we imagine that seems impossible? Maybe just maybe. God wants to invite us to things that may seem impossible for everybody to look at when he fulfills it and does it and says, surely that was God. I think scripture is kind of clear on that. Rebecca and I had an opportunity when we uh, felt the Lord leading us to to move up here. This is back in uh, I guess it was in the very end of January that we put our house on the market. And I just put my hand on the on the. On the wall of the house, and I prayed for the house. I said, Lord, would you sell this house quickly so that everybody who knows us sees that this is what you're doing and you can be glorified because everybody looks and says, That was God. 
Surely the Lord is calling you guys to Georgia. Absolutely. There's no way beyond a shadow out. God is in this and he is moving. And you know what? We sold our house in five days and in a market when you should never be able to sell your house in five days. And the Lord just led me to that place. Not as a and I really felt in praying that prayer. Let me check my heart before I pray this, that I'm not doing this out of some selfish means to because I want the house sold quickly. But I just ask the Lord, would you glorify yourself in the selling of this house quickly and let it be a testimony to who you are, that when you call your people, you move. And we sold in five days and I probably had no kidding, 20 different conversations with people when they're like, God, how did you what did you? I'm telling you, I prayed for that house and I asked the Lord to sell it to be to get to just to say just for people to look at and be in awe of. Wow, God is in this. And look at what God can do. Nothing is impossible for our God. Just as a little bitty moment. You know, that's not a big one. That's not raising somebody from the dead, right? You can even make practical sense of selling your house in five days. But I just ask the Lord, would you do this to bring glory to you? And, to, and, and for people to be encouraged that when you step out in faith, God is there. And let it be a sign to everybody who hears our story that you are our God. And I think he said, yeah, Sure. Love it. Sounds like a good plan because that's what he says throughout his word. That's my plan. I want to bless you. And I want all the worlds of the nations to look at you and see that you're blessed and says, who in the world? What other gods are there in the world that when the people of Israel call upon his name, he, they answer? I want all the nations of the world to see how I answer your prayers so that they look and they see me. Not so they see you being blessed, but so they see a God who responds when you pray. That's my plan. And that's what he's inviting you and I to. And yet this week, as you go out, there's a table set up just outside. And on that table, I want you to I invite you to grab a nail. And I want you to carry this nail with you all week long. Stick it in your pocket. Let it poke you a little bit. Be careful. Keep this ever before you all week long. Because I believe, and Steve and I have talked about this, on Friday night we're going to invite you to come back to the Friday service. And we're going to have some nails put in that cross. And we're going to have little cards written up here for you to write on. And this week, as you go around carrying this nail, I want you to invite the Lord to reveal to you the things that he wants for you to let go of. He wants you to be able to look back on and consider those joy. He wants you to look at those hardships, those places of hurt, those places of pain, those places of being mistreated and abused, those places where you were taken advantage of. And he wants you to be able to turn those into an act of worship and say, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I say yes and amen to you growing me to be a mature follower of you. For you using those very things as an opportunity for my life. Because you said you came that you might have life and have it in abundance. And I'm holding you to your word. That those were a part of your plan to lead me to a place of maturity. To produce within me a fruit of holiness and righteousness and peace. Because that's what the word says those are for. And so there are a lot of moments that we may need to go back and remember. And when you come Friday night, we're going to invite you to write whatever that moment is for you. 
Maybe it's a word you write down, whatever it is. We're not going to go read them, but we're going to invite you to come stick them on the cross. And by doing so, inviting the Lord to use this Easter season to be a season that you're saying yes and amen to the new plans that he has in store for you, that you consider those moments joy. In the Old Testament, we see the picture. We see the picture of the father who's willing to sacrifice his son out of faith and confidence in the, in the God that he believes in. In the New Testament, we see a son who is honored to say, I'll, I'm willing to be sacrificed. On behalf of those that you love. On behalf of those around me. And friends, that is the road that Christ is inviting you and I to walk down. Nate, I'm going to invite you guys, the worship team, to come back up. We are invited to follow Jesus down the road in complete confidence, in complete trust, and in complete faith that God Though hardship may lie ahead, though difficulty may be before me, I'm going to trust that you are God and that you can use these things for my benefit and for the benefit of those around me. And because you want to love those in my neighborhood around me, because you want to have my life be spent to worship you and be a minister to those around me, I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm not going to live Anymore as this life is about this life, but instead I'm going to follow Jesus and say, it's not about me. It's not my will, but your will be done. And it starts with laying those things, those things that have had a hold on our life, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the difficulty, the pain. Maybe it's a church you know, issue. Maybe you've been wounded by the church and you need to forgive the church. Maybe you need to forgive that church specifically or that person that wounded you. But God has a plan to be able to use those as stepping stones, as a ladder to maturity and to produce a fruit in your life. And when you do that, you're going to begin living your life not for you, but for your life to be spent to love those around you. And you'll have a peace and you'll have a righteousness and you'll have a holiness that become the fruit of your life. Let's pray. Father, we do invite you to lead us down that road. Father, we do thank you that you uh, did not call us to live a life in perfection in this moment, that we've all fallen, we've all sinned, we're all human, Lord. We're imperfect, but you are perfect. The perfect God, the creator of all things. You know the stars and each of them by name, Lord. You know the numbers of hairs on our head. You know the days that have yet to come and the struggles and the trials and the hardships that wait. But right now, Lord, we bring all the things that have affected us, that have laid a grip on us. Lord, areas that we have not trusted you with. And Lord, this week we invite you, Lord, just to anoint these nails we carry around. To help us see, to reveal to our mind's eye, to give us understanding the things that we have not yet trusted you with. And Lord, let us repent. Let us worship. Let us know the nearness of who you are as you move. And you bear fruit in our lives. So be with us and encourage us. Bring brothers and sisters around us this week. For many of us will need encouragement. 
But Lord, let there never be anything in the days that come that we are not willing to trust you with in faith. So we just say right now in Jesus' name, so be it. And may it be so. Amen.